So, Harry. Yeah. What was the first film you ever saw in the cinema? Uh, okay. So, you know The Simpsons. I'm uh, familiar with the concept, yeah. Yes. No, it was not The Simpsons movie. I was going to say that was going to age me horribly. That was <laughs> good <laughs> um, film stuff crumbling to dust before your very eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, at the end of every Simpsons episode, it uh-huh. shows the 20th Century Fox logo. Uh-huh. And so the first film that I ever saw in the cinema was um, Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle. Okay. Um, for which I would have been about four or five or something. I don't know. Okay, yeah. And uh, it's by 20th Century Fox. And so the the film opens and it shows the 20th Century Fox logo. There's the whole fanfare and everything. And I was like, I've seen it. <laughs> oh, you, it. you thought that uh, it was just The Simpsons. It was just going to be another Simpsons. you just gone to a very big room to watch a very yeah. and I intense guess episode of The Simpsons. Me, but like, yeah. that would really excite me now. Like, wow, The yeah. Simpsons on a big screen. Cool. I love that. Yeah, your first impression of The Cinema was just to be like, meh, seen it, yeah. over it. Now, take me home. Take me home. <laughs> We've got this at home. It's fine. We'll watch it at home. Always yeah. a critic from the very beginning. <laughs> back everybody to beyond the box set the podcast where today we are pitching prequels sequels and spin-off ideas to hugo we'll also be pitching some drinking games and hearing other sequel pitches from our twitter followers but first we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments from the original movie and catch you up with a bit of a plot summary i'm harry the host with the most clocks in my house everything's about how you have more stuff than me lately stop (laughs) very materialistic with these i have a lot of things why, why so many clocks? Who needs so many clocks? I, I'm also marrying a watch fixer. So. Oh, I suppose you are. That is true, yeah. yeah we, we do just have a lot of watches around the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, it, it is. It's, it's like something out of um, yeah, Captain this. Hook would not be welcome. In yeah, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and joining me as always, the host with the most things to do and not enough time to do it, it's John Lucas. That is true. There are not enough hours in my life at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to go with the most free time and then I was like, no, that's probably that's not, not true. That's not true at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> not in the slightest. Not these days. Yeah. So Hugo, what do you think of this? Hugo, yeah. So I thought this was a really nice film. I'd not seen this one before. Yeah. I thought this was very pleasant. Yeah, it is. Very, very pleasant. I, did you see this? You'd seen it before, right? Yeah. But in the cinema or just in, on your own time on, I, on your sofa someday? I don't remember. So probably not the cinema. Yeah. Because I really got a sense with this one because I did watch it quite late last night mm-hmm. and I was a little bit tired mm. and I did feel like, oh, I'm not really getting the best out of this mm. in the sense that this is, I, I wish I was watching this. I feel like if I'd watched this on a, on a big screen, mm-hmm. I would have been really charmed by it. Yeah. Like it just, it's just because it has that, you know, it's about the magic of cinema. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I don't think watching it at like 11 o'clock at night on your TV is quite going to give you the same experience. You no. know, I try my best. I, I did think it was really nice. Mm. A touch slow, a touch over long, but, you know. Yeah. I don't think it was a touch slow, but I can mm. definitely see why you'd say that, especially yeah. if you're watching it later. Like night. I said, I was tired, yeah, mm. but I could appreciate it. Now, it it is a a longer film than you know it could be, mm-hmm. um, but I really enjoyed all of it. Uh, Louise summed it up very well by saying like this is the sort of film that you watch on like Christmas afternoon or yes. New Year's Day. Yeah, you know, it's like a slow one that you just sit down and you just like, indulge in. You, yeah. you don't quite fall asleep to, but you're you're in that sort of mood. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so. That's, that's that's what this is, I think. Definitely. 
and also, also this i think another thing the reason why i didn't maybe get the best out of it but then you wouldn't have either is that this film apparently was very much made to be viewed in 3d right okay yeah yep. and i only learned that after after i watched it mm-hmm. i was reading up on it and apparently it was shot all in 3d and a lot of the stuff that happened was very much geared towards mm-hmm. the 3d thing because this is in like 2011 when they were still trying to make 3D happen. I think yeah. they finally let it just die for the time being. Until, yeah. until that Avatar movie comes out, I don't think anyone's going to bother. But um, <laughs> if that Avatar movie ever comes out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, once I realized that, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it also adds an extra layer of to the film. I, I was, actually, I was really, even though I'd not watched it in 3D, I was like, oh, that's really clever because the film is so about, there's all this stuff about how in the early days of movie making, mm. the people thought that the, train was going to come out the screen and, and hit them oh yeah of course and then this film apparently those scenes you know the really famous yeah scene where the train goes through the platform and yeah, yeah. From, the, from the from the trailer basically yeah. the trailer shot would have actually come out the screen right yeah. Really, yeah. Oh, that, that is quite cool Isn't it good? doesn't that make you like it even more yeah 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 it's one of the one of the few use cases of 3d that i think oh yeah yeah no, apparently it looks really good in 3d i couldn't yeah. tell you obviously but that's <laughs> what i'm i read up a lot of people were very complimentary of the 3d mm-hmm. yeah and and yeah, and it won in in the year it came out in 2011. It didn't win Best Picture. Mm. It was nominated, but it was the most nominated film that year nice. for all awards. And it won five, which were all like cinematography and technical stuff. So wow, it yeah. was definitely one of those films that just cleans up. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of why I chose it. I was like, yeah. well, yeah, I, I think I remember it being good. Mm. And like, I remember some sort of true to... Uh, true story bits you know with uh the the films yes yes it, um, it is and, based on a true story kind of and, and so yeah i was like oh is this is this gonna be good for making sequels too because like true story for like i'm, I'm never gonna do apollo 13 it's one of my favorite movies but yeah. it just wouldn't work for pitching sequels too fair enough um and so i was like is that is that is that this, what this is gonna be but it did win a lot of oscars it's probably gonna be a good time mm-hmm. yeah it was a really good time oh good well, i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah, yeah. i think i've uh undone my little uh up last last time it's a step up from the love guru yeah that's a <laughs> that that's a faint praise but yeah, it, yeah it's a, it's definitely better they should put that on the poster for if they reissue it better, <laughs> better than martin the scorsese's H- hugo 11 oscar nominations better than the love guru yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all any film can try to be <laughs> yeah. yeah directed by martin scorsese as i mentioned then yeah which um, I, I didn't realize until the credits at the end didn't you think this felt much more like a spielberg film yeah it's got yeah. such a spielberg vibe for me yeah and i kind of w- wondered like how different it would be if it was a spielberg film because mm. it definitely has yeah. that kind of this is a weird comparison but it reminded me a little bit of the terminal because okay. it's all like in one location okay but there's like and there's a main character who's kind of isolated it actually has yeah. a very similar plot in some ways but also <laughs> like it's all these sweeping you know, it makes that location so part of the story like mm-hmm. the terminal is you know sort of the way he lives and breathes inside it much in the way in this film this uh it, it's the it's a real station in paris isn't it it's a mm-hmm. gerdenol yeah gerdenol yeah i assume that's the right pronunciation but yes mm. have you been to gerdenol yeah a lot it's one of the big ones isn't it yeah so I it's the one that the uh Eurostar oh so you have to, to pass through it fair yeah. enough okay yeah, but the location... But it's also, a, like, the big station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it felt that way. I thought it was Grand Central Station in uh, America at first, and I was like, oh, no, everyone's, everyone's clearly French. Uh, <laughs> although we're very cut-glass British accents. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just is French in, in movie There's a lot of, like, words. British accents, but people are called Georges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah it's, a weird, it's a weird vibe, because, like, they're all oh-so-British. Yeah. And putting, like, a very 
Britishy accents, but they're all yeah. very French. Apart from like Jude Law's character is actually Brit, like he's he's supposed to be from Coventry or something. Yeah, that's true. Like that that one he does say it. So I'm like, oh, so what's the difference with like you compared to like everybody else? Yeah, because Chloe Grace Moretz is very jolly hockey sticks in this. Like yeah. she's supposed to be like, the Frenchiest of the French. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that did make me laugh. But yeah, it, it just it, it felt a little like the terminal in that way, and in the sense that's like you've got your main characters, but you've also got this like whole ecosystem that is the main location. And you've mm. got all these little side plots going on that sometimes intersect with the main story, but they're also just kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. You know, like the, uh, like Francis Delator and Richard Griffith with mm. their dogs. And, um, I guess Sasha that Bank. is the most adorable story. The dog ever, story. Ever. Really? <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> I had some, I had some, some questions, but I, oh, I just loved it because it, 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 it never bears any relevance to the plot. No, that's what I mean. It's just this whimsical little side plot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just it's so cute. It is. It's very it's so cute. Just the way that they sort of spin it out over. They're able to spin it out over two hours because obviously they've got a whole other story to tell. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, it means that you kind of go on a whole journey with them. And like, I agree. Like, it's like, oh, those two have been really trying to sort of get together for, you know, mm. ages, a long time. And they finally worked it out. I would question whether, I would question the wisdom of adopting a dog purely to get laid. But you know, that's just me. You know? <laughs> hey, it, it looked like it worked. It, it did. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. No, it was it was cute. It was a cute little it was a cute little yeah side story that I enjoyed. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think that ever really intersects with the main story. I don't think those two characters interact with them ever. They do a little bit. Um uh, Frances Delator, the woman, she um helps to train Sasha Baron Cohen to smile properly. Oh yes. yeah. And I think they both get shoved a few times when people are running away from each other, which is, just happens to everyone <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> There's so much shoving. Yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, on the whole they are very peripheral. So mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was a very cute film. I really liked uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and um, oh god, I've forgotten her name. Emily Mortimer. Emily Mortimer's uh, storyline as well. Okay, I see. I was less keen on that. I felt like for me, Sasha Baron Cohen felt like he was in a different movie to everyone else a little bit. Really? Because I don't. That's the question I was going to ask you about this. Is that I enjoyed this movie. Who is this movie for? Do you think? Like, what's the intended audience? Uh, I'd say. I, I I'd say like eight to twelve year olds. Mm. Do you not think kids would find it a little dull? Maybe, but also there's that whole like, hey, let's make up an adventure. Yeah, sort of. I guess, I guess. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it and maybe underestimating kids' attention spans. But yeah. I feel like parts of it obviously it's got a very, you know, yeah, kid friendly kind of general vibe and it's definitely mm. it's got kid leads and it's you know, there's no unlike most Scorsese movies, there's no swearing or violence or anything, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, it but I don't know. I feel like a lot of what it goes into about the history of cinema and all that kind of stuff, it feels more it's like for adult movie nerds mm. who just like, you know, will be really sharp, charmed by, mm. you know, this world that it's portraying. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just felt, I felt like Sasha Baron Cohen was more acting, just because I'm not the biggest fan of him generally as an actor. Like he felt he was more playing a character who would be in just a kid's movie, like a dumb kid's movie. Right, I see. I didn't think he really, I don't know, embodied the, the magic the way the other characters did maybe i'm being too harsh though i i I really liked it because he he felt like the villain from a disney movie Mm. but also with a little storyline of like oh actually he's just you know he's got a bad knee and he feels really bad about his self-image and he really wants to 
you know, be happy with Emily Mortimer and he's just trying well, he to... He sends so many children to that orphanage. I don't think he should be forgiven for that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like a scene where there's like a wee, literally a weeping, terrified child <laughs> being like pinned into a tiny little cage by a Doberman yeah. who then gets dragged screaming and crying into an orphanage. All this time, Ace Butfield is like peering out of like little vents and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how's he going to rescue him? Never does. Never, doesn't Never even does. try to. <laughs> that poor kid is just doomed. Yeah. And then Sasha Baron Cohen still gets the gale at the end. I was like... If you deserve this, mate. But. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but. yeah, you're, you're probably right yeah. there. But no, I know what you mean. It, 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 again, it's, it's, it's just, I guess it's quite a sweet little story that they have. Right, it, it does give him a little bit more warmth than maybe just a, just, just a Disney villain kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Little man. <laughs> Where are your designated adults? Answer me. I've got none. Do you have any parents? No. Excellent. We're straight to the orphanage with you, isn't it? No. What were you doing looking in that man's bottle? Was that your... Was that your bottle? Was that your paper bag? Was that your paper bag? It states clearly... Yes, Gustav does stay here. Yes, officer, another orphan. Um, trespass and theft this time. His hand was trespassing inside a paper bag with the intent of removing its contents. Uh, can we do a plot summary then? Sure. It's your film. Do you want to attempt it? Or? Uh, I could. Uh, I don't even remember how it starts. This is always the way with you. You always end up making me do the plot summary. <laughs> Every fucking week. Like. <laughs> well, I mean, we could, uh, you know... Give me a chance now, and like we'll we'll see how we go. You or know what just, this is. We'll get us quit beating around the bush and just admit that you've got loads of notes right there. You're like that kid who like <laughs> deliberately does a really crap job of the washing up, so the mum never asks them to do it again. Yeah, I can see right through you. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. This isn't over though. This conversation I mean, do is not you over. have notes in front of you? Yes, I always make notes because I well, am what you, a professional. Well, then you may as well. I am just a professional, it, Harry. Five years. <laughs> Fine. So Hugo. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. It's uh, yes. It's uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. Came out in 2011. Um, as I say, was nominated for many Oscars. Lost Best Picture to The Artist. Okay. Which uh, I think very similar in some ways, like mm-hmm. little stories to old Hollywood kind of thing. Yeah. I think this is better. I yeah. think this is definitely. Well, I've not seen that. You never seen The Artist? Nope. Oh, I felt like The Artist was such a fad. Like, not often something you say about a movie, but I really felt the artist was something that people got really excited about and then everyone forgot about it. Yeah. Not that, like, everyone is always like, oh my God, remember Hugo? But, like, I feel like this movie has more of a, like, a, a more staying power than the artist. It's, it feels less gimmicky. I feel like I've not heard of many of the films of that year. It wasn't the strongest year. I looked it up, it wasn't the strongest year. The, the Descendants, yeah, The that's... Artist, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, mm. Moneyball, Midnight in Paris, War Horse, The Tree of Life, Hugo, The Help. Uh, how many of those have you seen? Uh, I've seen two. I've seen Warhorse. Oh, you've seen Warhorse? Yeah. Have you yeah. not seen The Help? Uh, I think I've seen the second half of it. Okay, fair enough. Not that it's amazing. I just thought that'd be something you would have seen at some point. But yeah. No. Well, if if I ever suggest that we do the Tree of Life on this podcast, know that I am sending out subtle, not so subtle hints that I want to end the podcast. Okay. Because the Tree of Life, it's 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 not terrible, but it's like. Almost four hours long. It has virtually no plot whatsoever. It is a rough watch. Like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> it's very arty. Yeah. Some bits are really interesting. Some of it's very pretentious. But yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. No, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, fine. I thought as much. <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of a weird year for the Oscars. But yeah, the artist was just such a big, like, hyped thing that year. Mm. I went to see the artist in the cinema and I was, for the first half hour, I was like, oh, this is really charming because it's like, it's a silent film mm-hmm. in, in, in 2011. And, mm. I went, and then I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It is. It, it wore out its welcome with me very quickly. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so still this came out it did reason didn't make a lot of money this i think mm. like i was saying who's it for i think it was probably a tough sell so mm. like is it a kid's film is it a grown-up film but mm. he's martin scorsese i think martin scorsese when you get to his level you get one of these every now and again where you can, you can just blow 150 million dollars on a vanity project that you like you know a little a yeah. little passion project yeah why not but so, hey at least it turned out really well yeah it's a nice film and i think it'll have yeah you know people will still be coming to watch this in 20 years time and you know mm. i think sometimes a film doesn't necessarily need to make all the money right away no. so yeah, uh, it stars Asa Butterfield as the title character mm-hmm. Hugo, uh, who I thought was very good. Yeah. I thought he was very good in this. There were know. a couple of bits where both him and Chloe Moretz at the start are just a little bit ropey, a little bit early Harry Potter. Mm. I thought he was better than her. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I mean, she has, I think her role is harder to be good in because she is very jolly hockey sticks. Like, mm. you know, um, she, there was a lot of, yeah, I think there's one line she does that made me cringe when she's like, you don't like books? And it, yeah. it was just a bit like, oh, not the most natural line reading in the world. Yeah. Do you want a book? Miss Yellow Beast lets me borrow them, and I'm sure I could get one for you. No. Don't you like books? But I thought he was great. I only really know him, because she's gone on to do other things, obviously. Mm-hmm. Before this, he was in a horrifying film called The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen that? Uh, maybe. Oh, it is, I, I know what it is. Deeply upsetting. Because like like, <laughs> like this film, it kind of masquerades as a kid's film. I'm oh, right. coming home. A little bit, yeah. Well, it's it's about a little kid in a concentration camp. So I mean yeah. that kind of gives it gives you, you know, an indication things ain't gonna turn out well. Yeah. But it's really like in the style of a kid's film, because from the perspective of like he's like seven or it's before he did this, so he's like mm. seven or eight years old. Yeah, I remember watching it. I came home from the pub and I guess the fact it was on that late at night should have been a giveaway as well. But just put it on. It was like halfway through and I was like, oh, this looks you know, mm-hmm. watchable. Oh my God. Like <laughs> genuinely like, I was watching it with genuinely like heaving sobs by the wow. end. Like, it was, it's so upsetting. Like, <laughs> don't do it. No, don't, I, don't, just don't do it. I don't want to. No. I've got better things to do with my time. <laughs> um, yeah. I also know him from uh, Ender's Game. Oh yes, he was in um, that. Yeah. Which uh, I might do one day. Also Ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. And uh, more recently, not that I've seen it, Sex Education. Yes, he is in that show. I've not watched it either, but yeah. I know he's, he's still floating around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think he's very good in this. So he is the title character, Hugo. Mm-hmm. We get this long, very beautifully animated tracking shot at the beginning. Like, mm, I always like yeah. those when it's kind of, it's obviously created. It's not a single shot because it's yeah. all CGI'd, but like it kind of sweeps through the night sky and then into the train like station. old-timey Paris. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In snow as well. The snow is falling, the accordions are blaring, it's all yeah. very Parisian, yeah. Yeah, and at this point, Louise asked me, is this a Christmas movie? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. It does uh, have that vibe, a little bit at mm-hmm. first, but then it's not, no. it's not. It's not explicitly, but yeah. definitely could be. No, I think she was right. It's not a Christmas movie, but it's a movie you could definitely watch at Christmas and no, yeah. and no one would be like, why are we watching this? Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's got a festive enough spirit in some yeah. way, yeah. Um, I'd say any movie where it's always snowing. Yeah, that's always a good sign. Yeah, for, for a Christmas film. Uh, yeah, so he, it, we we zoom into Hugo, and he's actually living inside the clock, the mm. the, the giant clock that is in the train station. Uh, and we we learn very quickly that he, that's what he does. He lives inside the, he lives in the station, and his job is to 
fix the clocks. Mm-hmm. And it's all very like magical realism where like behind the clock face there's this whole labyrinth of, you know, cogs. Cogs and yeah, he, yeah. he, he can he slides down a whole thing and it's yeah, just very, yeah. yeah. It, it looks very magical and not at all like the rat infested nightmare yeah. that it would actually be in, in, <laughs> in real life, you know. Yeah. Where he would have been dead from tuberculosis before he hit the age of twelve. But you know <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> he probably would have been, you know. Can you imagine? The lack of sanitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, he lives inside the clock and one day or one night he gets caught trying to steal some spare parts mm-hmm. from a toy store run by a older gentleman played by Ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know his name at this point. I think his, I think Chloe Grace Moretz refers to him as uh, Papa, Papa George. Mm-hmm. So his name is George, George. Yeah. yeah. But we don't know anything more than that no. at the moment. Uh, yeah. And this is Ben Kingsley who is, Definitely redeeming himself again from the last time we saw him. <laughs> this is a much better performance than much less horribly offensive, depressing performance than what he gave in The mm-hmm. Love Guru. Yeah. He's very good in this. Yeah. yeah. No, he's really good in this. Really, really good. Really, really good. Yeah. I was surprised he didn't, because he got all those Oscar nominations, but no acting ones. And I was thought, oh, Yeah, I'm surprised that he didn't get one. I would have thought that's the kind of thing you throw to an older actor. Maybe people are still mad about The Love Guru, like because <laughs> he's not been nominated since. Maybe once you've done that, mm. you're never getting another Oscar nomination again, doesn't matter how good you are. I guess, like, yeah. Yeah. Jessica Alba's never going to get that Oscar nomination. <laughs> it's never going to happen to her now. <laughs> Timberlake, no. <laughs> uh, yes, so Hugo tra- gets caught trying to steal some spare parts from Ben Kingsley, who mm-hmm. catches him and steals his notebook, mm. or takes the boy's notebook. Uh, Hugo has a notebook. Yeah. And Ben Kingsley looks into it, and it's filled with like schematics and designs for this robot, this automaton. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, where did you get this? Who drew this? Who drew all mm-hmm. these? And Hugo won't tell him. Yeah. And so he takes the, the notebook home and Hugo kind of follows him home trying to ask. He, he, he threatens to burn it. He says he's going to take it home and burn it. Yeah. yeah. Which is harsh. Yeah. Uh, so Hugo follows him home to try and get it back, but he won't do it. He just slams the door in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does attract the attention of Ben Kingsley's goddaughter. It turns out, uh, mm-hmm. Isabel, who's played by Chloe Grace Barrett's. Mm-hmm. And she agrees to help him. She yeah. agrees to help him to get his notebook back. And then we learn, we, we get some flashback sequences and we learn that actually Hugo is the son of Jude Law, mm-hmm. who was a clockmaker. Yeah. And uh, the two of them together, they would work together on all these kind of weird and wonderful mechanical devices. And one such device that was very important to him was this automaton, this kind of old 1920s robot kind of thing, mm. which... Jude Law got a hold of from some museum or something. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and but they were trying to figure out it was it's very intricate and they were trying to figure out how to fix it. And it's like their greatest challenge. But in the middle of them trying to fix it, uh Jude Law is eaten by a dragon? <laughs> Question mark. Like, what? what happened? Like the sequence when he dies was so they say they really like glaze over this like oh and then they, jude law died in a fire yeah like, yeah but there's a, basically what you see is you see jude law like working away on his, his robot thing mm-hmm. and then he hears some kind of strange sound and he, he like goes to investigate he opens up a door that's mm-hmm. leading down like a huge flight of stairs mm-hmm. and just this giant plume of fire just comes up the stairs and engulfs him and that's it and that's the end of jude law. no explanation yeah just oh he died in a fire yeah what what happened <laughs> what happened <laughs> just a fire I just a fire that yeah a very intense fire that like burnt him alive. Like what a horrible way to go. Yeah. Yeah. But it yeah. really did look like a, someone had just stood at the bottom of the stairs and gone like, Dracarys! <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it didn't look like, oh no, the building's on fire and I'm trapped. It was yeah, like literally yeah. an explosion of flame. Like, yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very strange way of showing it. Yeah, they really didn't spend a lot of time on that. No. 
Um, yeah, so then he gets, then Hugo gets told. I guess that you don't want to dwell on it too much. No, sure, yeah, it's not that kind of film. It's not yeah, this film because it's very, very sad and it's right at the start. Yeah, and it is. It's that fairy tale thing. It's like in all the uh, Roald Dahl books. Was oh, the parents got eaten by rhinos. Why not? You know, there's yeah, always yeah. some just random reason the parents are dead. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Hugo is now an orphan. His mum's obviously been dead before, mm-hmm. and he gets taken in by his drunken uncle, played by Ray Winston. Mm-hmm. Who also just disappears straight away. Yeah. Just shows up to put, <laughs> shows up to shove Hugo into the clock. Like, you're a clock fixer now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're my apprentice or whatever. You're mm-hmm. not going to school anymore. Yeah. And then he just vanishes. Yeah. Completely from the movie. Yeah. He's only in that flashback for a bit of it. For like, yeah, for, he's got like a 15 second screen time. And then at the end, then towards the end, they're like, oh yeah, he died. Yeah. It's like, again, it's just very like, okay, fine. <laughs> I guess we don't need this character. Yeah. Ray Winston was available for an hour to <laughs> choose his role. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's what he, happened. He, he will be drunk. You don't get a... Sorry, Scorsese, you don't get sober, Winston. Does anyone? Uh, yeah, was, <laughs> did he even know he was in a film? You know, so. <laughs> uh, but I guess this is all just setting up the whole... The story, which is that now Hugo is living inside this clock tower in the train station. Yeah. And he's... And, dedica- the, and the, the only things he got of his father, from, from his father were this automaton mm-hmm. and the notebook that kind of goes with it of like, here's all the parts that we need and yeah. diagrams and stuff. Yes, and he's convinced himself that if he can only fix the automaton and get it working again, it will give him some some last message from his dad. Yeah. And, uh, it, that's what he's convinced himself. So it's very emotionally important to him. And so obviously when Ben Kingsley takes the notebook, he's devastated and is just determined mm. to get it back at all costs. Mm. So yeah, so Chloe Grace Moretz agrees to help him, basically. Well, she agrees to help him, and then that's pretty much it. And then we cut to the next morning. Mm. Um, Hugo goes up to, uh, to Ben Kingsley's shop, and Ben Kingsley just hands him a uh just a rag oh that's it because he, he and, demonstrates his abilities to fix things and then he, he kind of takes a job to kind of earn the, the notebook back right no no no, 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 no you're jumping ahead oh sorry um ben kingsley just gives him like a, a rag of fabric oh yes and, and he, he opens it and it's just ash and it just falls everywhere in mm-hmm. slow motion directly at the camera yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, would have been great in 3d sure it would have been yeah and uh it's quite devastating because, to, to be honest, I didn't. I don't remember very much about this film. I was like, "Shit, burnt that notebook." Yeah, harsh. That's a horrible thing to do. Way harsh time. Yeah, yeah. Then Chloe Grace Moretz tells him, "Like, no, he, he, he didn't burn it. You're all right." He's just vindictive. Yeah, <laughs> just a, a horrible old trickster. Yeah. yeah, but she tells him this at the library, introducing what who I think is the weirdest character, the easiest to lift out is Christopher. Christopher Lee. Lee yeah, he's not a bad character. No, it's just. All the other characters are remarkably well written. Mm. He's not interesting at all. No, if, I don't know a thing about him. I think he's just there because they need somebody at some point to give them the book. Yeah, I guess <laughs> he he's definitely like moves the plot along character, not a character who's actually got a personality. Wait, what book? The book of the history of film that makes them make the connection later on. The book by uh, Michael Stolberg. Ah, uh, yeah, got you. Yeah, yeah, that's for later though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're, yeah, you're right. This is because Chloe Grace Moretz uh, is very much into books. She loves books. Mm-hmm. But she's never seen a film because it turns mm. out that Papa George or Gr- Grandpa George, whatever he's called, Papa George, it turns out that Papa George has banned her from ever seeing any movies. He's very anti-movie. Yeah. So she's never, ever seen a movie. Yeah. So Hugo takes her to the cinema. They watch an old Harold Lloyd thing, that famous one where he's hanging off the clock. Mm-hmm. You know, all these like, you know, classic salad movies and stuff. And they just, they bond and they bond. Harold Lloyd thought it was Buster Keaton. No, that, that, that was Harold Lloyd. Yeah. There were lots of salad movie people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know there was more than just one. Yes, yes. Well, that, that one was Harold Lloyd, definitely. Yeah, okay. I, I, now I'm doubting myself. No, it was Harold Lloyd, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they're like, you know, they're, they've got a little cute little, you know, 
preteen romance thing going on. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Chloe Grace Moretz has a necklace, which just so happens to contain a key, which fits perfectly inside the automaton. Yeah. And so they use it to wind the automaton and it starts drawing. It starts mm-hmm. sketching things. Um, good thing they thought to put paper in front of it. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> what, what look? Mm-hmm. Um, Remarkably clean paper, very uncreased. And I'm like, again, how, where do they get this from? And how is it so well kept? I mean, have you seen the state of, of Hugo in this? Like, exactly. He, he's, he's, an ur- he's, he's a literal urchin. Always yeah. dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, they just just dropped into W.A. Smith's and just, you know, yeah. dropped into Ryman's. Just <laughs> oh, yeah, they're in a train station, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's everywhere, yeah. yeah. There's always a W.A. Smith in a, in a train station. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it starts sketching, and at first it looks like it's just sketching nonsense or writing nonsense, and he's, he's mm-hmm. devastated. He's like, well, I thought there was going to be a message from my dad, but it's just I can't, it's just nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Mm. And then it continues to draw, and it does this incredibly intricate sketch yeah. of... Um, <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Yeah, of the, sea, of the famous, famous scene from the classic early movie a trip to the moon mm-hmm. which is a real do you recognize that uh yeah shot? I, I think i did but i'm also not sure if this was the first place that i saw it sure it, yeah and i've and i've just seen that shot in other mm. in re- reference and other things sure i just remember because it's i've always even as a child always found it super creepy yeah that yeah, horrible is, that yeah. horrible like yeah doe-faced moon it's like Ugh. yeah <laughs> but it is, it's a very very famous early piece of film mm. and uh yeah it's basically the automaton draws the sequence. It's the famous one where the, the moon is kind of scowling mm-hmm. and the rocket ship hits it in the eye, basically. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's that. And then when it's finished drawing it, it then does a signature underneath and the signature is Georges Méliès. Yeah. And Chloe Grace Moretz is like, Georges Méliès, that's Papa Georges' real name. Yeah. And so they realize that there's some kind of connection between his, his dad's robot and her godfather's mm-hmm. got some involvement with this sketch that they don't they yeah. don't recognize what it's from of course but yeah they, yeah so they they go and try and ask papa george about it but his wife played by helen mccrory mm. she tells them to forget all about it she, she when she finds out what they've done she's very disappointed and angry at them she's like mm-hmm. he mustn't know don't tell him uh but then while they're at the house he comes back and they have to hide and they end up discovering a hidden box like a hidden drawer filled with other movie sketches mm-hmm. like yeah. all famous well we, we find out later in movie sketches but like uh, this scene would have been a, 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 this is a 3d one, one this it? one this one was really <laughs> like when i was like as soon as i learned it was a 3d movie i was like oh that sequence that's why they did that yeah like, this seems like very magical realist out of nowhere with all that because mm. they pull open the drawer and suddenly there's like papers flat like cgi papers flying mm. all around them there's ones that are like showing different bits of animation yeah yeah. and it looks gorgeous even in just regular old 2d or 3d but yeah to see it in 3d i bet it would have looked like spectacular if it was Mm. yeah done seen properly so yeah yeah absolutely so they find all of these old sketches as well which are all like famous movie shots uh but papa george runs in on them and he is furious and he starts tearing them up and crying and tells them they're Mm. very cruel and they he throws hugo out so clearly there's something there that he's not willing to talk about but it's Mm -hmm. A painful incident from his past. Mm, it's so, a big repression. Something very repressed. Yeah, because yeah, like when he walks into the room, he doesn't recognize what what this is. Mm. Like initially, he has to pick it up and study it, and then be like, "Oh, oh, it's that whole era of my life." I've, I've just forgot- closed. The, I've closed the door on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back from the dead. Stop! This is your work. My work. What am I? Nothing but a penniless merchant, a broken wind-up toy. 
trusted you. This is how you thank me. You're cruel. Cruel. So then they go back to the library in the train station. Mm-hmm. I think the library's in the train station. Christopher Lee's library, anyway. Yeah. And they discover, because they, they sort of find out what's going on, mm. and they discover a, or, or led to by Christopher Lee, a book on the early history of cinema by a guy See, called... you know, what I like about this is it's, you know, it, it's to, in, in the second half of the film now. Mm. Yeah. And I wasn't bored by the first half at all. I was just sort of enjoying this film sort of wash over me. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a few different relationships around the place. We, we've not really talked about... Sasha Baron Cohen's relationship to Hugo. No. And how they have a sort of cat and mouse thing, even though I'm not even sure that he knows that Hugo exists. Yeah, because Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen is the station uh, guard. guard kind of thing. Yeah. And he just spends his day chasing down orphans and street urchins yeah. and having them hauled off to the orphanage. Yeah. So he's, he, and so he doesn't have anything specific against Hugo at this point. No. But Hugo is definitely someone who he chases occasionally when he... Yeah. Yeah. And they do a lot of things like... Sasha Baron Cohen will look one way and Hugo like just ducks out of the way. And then, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's same I get there's lots thing. of callbacks to like silent movie, like physical mm. stuff of like, yeah, just people like hiding and stuff. So yeah, it was cute. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's really good. And that sort of thing just really keeps the film, no pun intended, just ticking along yeah, yeah, yeah. for the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it just really entertaining. I was just really into it. And yeah. I was just knowing they're like, they're not even getting to my to anywhere near my favorite bit yet. Oh, really? My favorite okay. bit of like just going through all these old films. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. They've not even touched on this yet. This is great. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, so they find this book by a writer called Rene Tabard, and it's like a history of old cinema, and they find a photo in it of the same thing that the automaton sketched, which is the scene yeah. from the trip to the moon with the moon and everything. Mm-hmm. And they read it... That it was a film that an early film that was created by a famed early director called Georges Méliès, mm-hmm. who has been dead for many decades or many years anyway. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think they said he was presumed dead. In presumed the war. dead in the war, died in the war. Yeah, or yeah. presumed dead in the war. And this then, is Cla- set in 1931. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so it's in between the two wars. And then Chloe Grace Moretz is like, my granddad's not dead. Obviously, mm. Betsy was a character. Uh, and then I think, yeah, again, just very coincidentally, the guy who wrote the book is just standing behind them. Yeah. For no reason. Just because, you know. <laughs> story. Yeah, for story purposes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And he's like, oh, so you... I mean, I'm, I'm just imagining, remember in Friends when Ross gets his PhD published. Oh, and, and nobody reads his book. Library, yeah. And he's just like hanging out by, in, just in that part of the library. Like, yeah. why didn't you read this book? Mm. I'm, I'm just imagining that. Like this guy, like, although he comes out as a really sort of put together, like intellectual I think that he actually only written one book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe one book that's actually any good, and he's really proud of it, but still nobody reads it. And so he's, he's always just... like, is anybody going to read my book today? Nope, nobody. Okay, I guess I'll go home and try again tomorrow. <gasps> Two kids? Oh, yes, great. Oh, see, now I've had a whole... This this isn't what my sequel... This could be my whole, like, side story, like, <laughs> sequel thing. I was thinking maybe maybe Christopher Lee is, like, his dad or his granddad. Ah, uh, yeah. And then he's like, yeah. oh, you know, I've got just the book for you. Just, like, takes pity on his poor son who's nobody's read his fucking book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, go, 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 they're interested. <laughs> Hook them in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that could work. That's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he turns up and he's played by Michael Stuhlbarg, yeah, a great character actor. And yeah, and he and Chloe Grace Moretz is like, but the guy inside in this chapter is my godfather, and he's not dead; he's very much alive. Mm. And he doesn't believe them at first, but then they're like, "We'll come back and meet him." See, now I was a little confused by some of the locations in this mm-hmm. 
because I just understood it that Christopher Lee's library was just part of the train station. So did I, yeah. And so does that mean that Michael... Stolberg? Michael Stolberg has just been hanging out in this library. You know, I'm also just going to presume that he's a librarian there. Okay, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what, really, why would he actually be hanging out in the library? Who knows? With, well, why is anyone hanging out in this train station? What's Frances Delator doing every day, just with her dog in a, in a train I think station? She, I think she runs a little cafe. Oh, does she run the cafe? I thought yeah. she was just a patron. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Not sure about what Richard Griffith is doing. Oh, he's a, he's an artist. He, he, he's like, ah, yeah. he, he does like, uh, what they call caricatures. They do right. show him doing that yeah. brief, very briefly. Yeah. Right, okay. But yeah, like so Michael Stolberg, he is part of this library in the station, this mm-hmm. massive grand library. Yeah. And he's never sort of gone and like bumped into somebody at some point. Like when he's... They do a little flashback with him as a child. Meeting the guy, yeah. meeting Meeting George Melier. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's in awe, he's in absolute awe. And this guy says like, this is where dreams are made or something like that. It's very uh-huh. Willy Wonka line. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, as a kid, you wouldn't forget that. And you wouldn't forget that face. And, True. Um, you know, Ben Kingsley looks pretty much exactly the same. You know, sure. it's, instead of like grey, his hair is now white. Yeah. But other than that, it's the same. Maybe it's just one of those things of like constant missed connections. Like I guess, yeah. Ships in the night, you know. Yeah. But whatever, yeah, somehow they've never run into each other. And so they arrange the next night that he's going to come over mm. and meet George Melier. Uh, and then we get the dream sequence, which... Oh, yeah. Which I... It's a little bit shocking, this. It's kind of weird, yeah. And it really... I don't know what it adds... To, I, I like it, but I don't know what it like, adds to the overall story. It just felt like they needed some stuff for the trailer. Yeah. Because it's like the most <laughs> intense action-packed part of the film. Mm. So we get this sequence that we don't well, know it's, it's a dream. It, well, it's also a little bit of foreshadowing yes for for the finale of the movie it does have some of that as well yeah but on the whole it's just a very odd little section yeah so we we have like a little bit of a lull in the film where uh, we don't know this is a dream but hugo is walking through the station and he spots uh chloe grace moret's necklace mm. uh with the with the heart-shaped key mm-hmm. chain has fallen onto the tracks mm-hmm. so he looks around there's no trains and he jumps down onto the railway yeah. line to pick it up and then a train comes bursting towards him mm-hmm. uh there's a guy who is in, in the train who's like shouted, boy on the tracks, boy on the tracks. Yeah. Did you recognize him? No. It's the same, I'm 99% certain, because the voice really gave it away because it's a very similar character. Mm. Same guy who in the Titanic goes, iceberg right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of typecasting is that? Like, just person who sees fingers, things too late at speed. Like, <laughs> Oh, I really hope it is. Yeah, I'm that'd almost certain. That'd be very difficult to look up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really hope that is. <laughs> <laughs> it really had the, he had the exact same voice so if he wasn't he's also he was like, not good at his job it didn't no, work in either, in either way exactly exactly so the, yeah then the train just like mows down Hugo we assume like, yeah. it, it obviously doesn't really show like the blood spatter or anything but yeah. mows him down and then careens off the tr- off the tracks onto the platform well this is the thing that always confused me and also I forgot I, I remembered this scene fairly vividly yeah. but forgotten that it was a dream sure yeah which was perfect yeah 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 the thing that always confused me about it was so was this train just always going to carry on driving like through the station, like just like off the track into Paris? That's a good point because it was going to have to slow down one way or the other. Yeah, yeah like the boy on the tracks or not, that train was going to crash. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> a very good point. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's a dream, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah, basically in this dream, the train goes off the tracks, just fully like through the platform, like mm. must kill many, many people yeah. and explodes through the wall like, of the giant clock on the outside of the train mm. station and just and yeah, crashes through mm. again probably looked incredibly impressive in 3d yeah yeah it yeah. still looked good but like probably looked a lot better yeah. and then hugo wakes up in, in a cold sweat and it's oh it was all a dream it's fine 
And then he, he sees that the automaton is just sat at the edge of his bed staring at him. Very mm-hmm. creepy. And then he kind of sits up in his bed and pulls his, uh, his, his like pajama top open and looks down and realizes that he is himself turning into a robot. This is a bit scary too. It is. I, this is the thing. I think kids would have nightmares about this sequence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, he, and then he wakes up again. It's boom, double dream. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is some... That is some so proper shit. You don't often get a double dream sequence. That that's bold. Do you know what's uh what's interesting about that dream sequence? Mm-hmm. Um, is that I just looked it up because I wasn't sure if I was completely making this up or not, but I am actually right. That was actually a real train crash that happened. Oh wow, I didn't in, actually know that. Back in eighteen ninety five, so like forty years before the sure, film sure, set. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, like weird right god this film is so full of references i didn't actually know that no yeah I, I, that kind I, of explains why I they did that it black then, and yeah. white photo but mm. I, but in my head like it was in the film mm. was that black and white photo and so i wasn't yeah. sure if it was real or not but turns out it is i guess that yeah that's some that more justifies why they put it in the film then because mm. i didn't i didn't know that was a real thing that happened so oh, that's interesting so yeah so then he has his do- he wakes up from his double dream sequence yeah and he, he finds out that his uncle has died his uncle Ray Winston has been found dead. I guess it seems like he just fell in the River Seine and because he was drunk and then yeah. Yeah, his body was washed up. Whatever. doesn't matter. He's not a character. No. He doesn't seem to care in the slightest. Why would he? <laughs> um, but it, uh, all this, I think, just all it does is it tells Sasha Baron Cohen's character that somebody is living in the clock because he's mm-hmm. been, I guess he knows that Ray Winston works there and assumed that he was still doing all the maintenance. Mm-hmm. So at this moment, he realizes, oh, that something's, something suspicious is happening then because... He's been dead for several days, if not weeks, yeah. and someone's still running that clock. Yeah. So what's going on? So that, that kind of closes the web a little bit with them. Anyway, so then that night, Hugo and Chloe Grace Moretz and Michael Stolberg, they go around to Papa George's and they surprise him and his, well, his wife first. It turns out she's one of his actresses. Mm. And, and it, oh yeah, that's it. Because Michael Stolberg has rescued one of his films, which is yes. coincidentally enough, the trip to the moon one. Yeah. So they sit down. So like and they, the most iconic, the most one, iconic one. Yeah. What, what look, yeah. what good fortune. Uh, so he sets it up and he shows it on the screen and she's in it. She's an actress and she's very moved by this. Like the first time she's ever seen her younger self on the screen in like 30 or 40 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Ben Kingsley comes back in and he sees it too. And he realizes finally that his work hasn't been forgotten mm. and that people still care. And he's very moved and he agrees to, Rather than repress all of his horrible, his bad memories, he, he just opens up and tells his story. Mm-hmm. And his story is that he was one of the very first filmmakers in like the 1910s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a magician first and he got into, he got fascinated by, and this is all based on the real story of the actual Georges Méliès, mm-hmm. who directed this famous piece of cinema. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was, he was a magician who then got fascinated by the emerging art of filmmaking, made all these incredibly inventive, creative, visually striking, silent pictures, uh, just with his own just natural skill for you know set design and stuff mm. uh they were very very popular for a time he, he built he built his own film studio mm-hmm. had a whole troop of actors it was a great success and then, i loved this this was some of the best bit like when they when they recreate the film studio mm. and they have like all, all, all these people like acting in these films mm-hmm. and it must have been so much fun for them to actually film this oh sure you like the, the, as, in, as in the 2011 lot filming the, oh yeah hugo they must have had such a great time, like creating all those props and everything. And like, because they've had to go back and watch these original films and try and recreate them as best they can. Yeah. And I reckon that the people doing that would have had such a good time. Oh yeah, for sure. I I, I think that like, yeah, the fact that this won Oscars for like cinematography and production design, mm. very well deserved. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well deserved. Like it's beautiful and it does, it really draws you in. It's very satisfying to watch. Mm. 
So yeah, he's he's this great success, but then World War One happens and basically everyone loses interest in film because mm-hmm. everything's just too sad already. And I guess people have got other other things that they need to focus on. And yeah, yeah, he says tastes changed, and suddenly no one was coming to see my movies anymore. His studio went bust. Mm-hmm. His, his his film company went 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 broke. Mm. He burnt down his studio in a, in like a rage of depression mm-hmm. and burnt all of his old set designs and, and had to and was forced to sell all his old films yeah most of which were melted down for oil yeah so he so all that happened and he just fell into complete obscurity mm. he had no money he'd lost all his fame and fortune etc and he started working just in the train station in a toy store and living in complete obscurity mm-hmm. which was yeah actually happened to this guy which is kind of amazing really and yeah. yeah so we, uh, obviously the film has made up a lot of the stuff around it but yeah that basic plot is true mm. uh yeah and so he for the first time in probably 20 or 30 years he realizes that some of his work has survived mm-hmm. and also that there's still people out there who want to watch it and remember him and he's very moved by this mm. and he rem- reminisces about when his studio did go bust he had this automaton that he'd built mm-hmm. and another one of his like inventions and he, he wonders whatever happened to it and then hugo's like well wait there yeah. <laughs> runs off with no explanation to the train yeah. station <laughs> Where he is immediately captured by Sasha Barnco. How long were they waiting, do you think? Like Before they were like, yeah, we should follow him. Yeah, <laughs> is, like, is that like a, I'll just go to the other room and just get this? Or was it wait there because I need to go and take a wee? Yeah. Or is he going to be back like in three days? Yeah, because they eventually just follow him to the train station. Don't they? Yeah. We don't see that scene of them being like, well, he's been gone a while. Yeah. <laughs> they just show up conveniently at the right moment. But also like, it's, it's a long walk from the train station yeah. to their house. Like in the film, he, like, they walk for ages. And if you know any uh, Parisian landmarks, like there's Notre Dame is mm. like on the way. <laughs> and that's really far away from that train oh, station. Oh, is it really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually hours and hours and hours. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> Magic tricks and illusion became my speciality. The world of imagination. beautiful wife was my muse my star and we couldn't have been happier action we thought it would never end how could it Then the war came, and youth and hope were at an end. The world had no time for magic tricks and movie shows. The returning soldiers, having seen so much of reality, were bored by my films. Tastes had changed, but I had not changed with them. No one wanted my movies anymore. Well, anyway, he goes to the train station and is immediately captured by Sasha Baron Cohen, mm-hmm. who kind of chases him. And then we get loads of more, we get loads more kind of film references where like Sasha Baron Cohen's chasing him all around the, the tower. Yeah, he ends up climbing out and hanging onto the end of the mm-hmm. the clock face, just like in the Harold Lloyd film. Mm-hmm. All that. It's, it's 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 all very good. Uh, he eventually does get captured and. Uh, to, and, and is almost about to be dragged away to the orphanage. Yeah. But then he escapes and is Cause, like, cause unlike away. the other orphans, he's savvy. He's savvy. He's got his key. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he picks the lock and he runs out and he 
now he falls onto the rail track for real. Mm-hmm. And we get the same sequence again with the train is also coming far too well, fast. Well, oh, yeah, you, you skipped over a little chase scene between him and Sash Baron Cohen. Like, they, they, they really do extend this chase scene and... Mm. Hugo's got the automaton, but then Sash Baron Cohen finally like grabs him or something. Yeah. Hugo drops the automaton and it like flies up in the air towards the camera. Yeah. And uh Hugo like really tries to catch it, but it lands on the train tracks. Yeah. And there is a train coming. Oh, that's it. And he jumps down to rescue it, yeah. Yeah. So it really like, is like his dream is coming true in many ways, yeah. Yeah. Cause also that's the only thing that he's got. Like yeah. it, it's his connection to his dad. It's now his connection to, you know, who's likely going to be his new foster dad. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't get that, then he's just going to go to an orphanage. And, you know, as far as he's concerned, his life is going to be over. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, he's just he's going to be just another orphan. Whereas this yeah. is, you know, his connection to family past and previous. Mm-hmm. Uh, past, present? And f- past and present? Pa- pa- past and pre- pre- future present? Past and future. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, we know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's very, very important to him, and it is worth risking his life for. Oh sure, but like I guess it, I guess the dream sequence earlier just kind of showed what the risk is. Like, oh yeah, there could just be a major train crash here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you could die. But you could, yeah. So once again, he's on the track, and that same guy from the Titanic is like, "Boy on the tracks, boy <laughs> on the tracks." But Sasha Baron Cohen pulls him up at the last moment mm-hmm. and rescues him in the nick of time. Yeah. And he's going to drag him away to the orphanage, but then I think he, his heart grows a little bit, maybe, because mm. I think he sees that Emily Mortimer's looking at him. Um, and also, everybody else just shows oh, up. Oh, everyone else shows up, and then I think uh, Papa George says, like, that boy is mine. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I like all the characters are here at this point. Yeah, everyone. Well. It's the whole the whole ensemble's yeah. together, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then everyone just kind of lives happily ever after, I guess. it's mm. uh, Hugo gets adopted, I guess, by the family, or yeah. they take care of him anyway. Uh, they host a whole little house party like a big viewing party yeah, yeah. Uh, papa george becomes like a lecturer he starts like lecturing about old cinema again and he finds all these people who are really interested in what he did there's like a there's an event in his name yeah and um uh what's his face uh says they're like yeah we must track down loads of his films oh that's like, it they find out that they found and... that actually a lot of his old films were restored and rescued it yeah, wasn't just that we, one yeah, so. like, we found like 80 of his movies like he did a few hundred of things yeah, still he, a lot yeah. lost but like 80 that's pretty good it's a pretty good save yeah considering most of them got melted down mm. and yeah and it just ends with them all in this like house party and then chloe grace moretz uh, starts writing the story down yeah because this also this film is based on a book which yeah was not written by a little girl but still <laughs> i guess that's a just to t- give her character a bit of a point but mm. yeah and that's the end it's 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 a very nice sweet natured end to a very nice sweet natured film yeah yeah you enjoy it i did it was a nice pick good yeah, yeah. Well, better no. than the love grower <laughs> Well done. (laughs) Yay. Once upon a time, I met a boy named Hugo Cabret. He lived in a train station. Why did he live in a train station? You might well ask. That's really what this book is going to be about. It's about how this singular young man searched so hard to find a secret message from his father and how that message lit his way all the way home ah cool um should we move on to drinking games then go for it yeah Okay, so the first one I've got is uh, Drink for French uh, Quartet Interludes. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, do you mean like the music? Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, a, it's very Parisian sounding, yeah. Yeah, oh, oh, and like the actual musicians that are 
that, that are in the station. Oh yeah, they are. They've got to the house bus. musicians in the station. In, yeah, in, in station musicians. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I felt really sorry for them when um, Sasha Baron Cohen crushes their cello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, he doesn't. He just walks away. It's like she's got someone's going to have to pay for that. Yeah, like it's not a cheap instrument. That no, not at all. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely would have noticed that. I, I had drink for accordion music, which is the same. Mm-hmm. The, the soundtrack is very, very heavy on the Parisian themes. Did I get nominated? Uh, for score, uh, probably because it was done by Howard Shaw, who's very well respected. So mm-hmm. I can't remember, but it probably was. Yeah, it was nominated for so many. It must have been. So yeah. yeah. Um, I also have that drink. This is an obvious one. Drink every time there's a sequence that would clearly have looked a lot better in 3D. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like I've kind of ruined that aspect of the movie for you now by bringing that up. But, uh, no, not really. Like Tron Legacy is still one of my favorite movies. True, true, true. And most most of most of the times I've watched that, it's not been in 3D. Drink whenever Sash Baron Cohen's leg gets stuck in something. Oh, yes. I found that very stressful, especially when he's on the train. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, are they going to kill him? It was hilarious, but it was, it was, but it was scary. <laughs> it was just, they, they just kind of ended the scene early. Yeah. It just didn't really show you what actually No, happened. same. I was like, how did he get himself out of that predicament? Yeah. That could, he could have been torn in half. Yeah. Very painful way to die. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But also, it's, it, it wouldn't be that fun a bit just to see somebody go over and help him. Like, it's. True. It would just, it, like, it, slow it, down it's the a scene. It's pratfall, yeah. isn't it? It is. It is, exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Very good. Drink every time an innocent commuter is shoved. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God. <laughs> so many people just go about their day, just business and just what, someone's running through and shoving them. Yeah. Ash Brown Cohen was the worst at it. He was. And it's his job to keep the place like safe and clean. And, and I think he, he, he pushed a lady clean over. At yeah, one point. he did. He breaks the cello. <laughs> he crashes through the door of uh, Francis Delator's little cafe place. Yeah. Like, he, is, he is the menace, not the people. Those orphans aren't doing half as much damage as he is. No. Yeah. Uh, they're stealing the occasional cost. He's got a rabid Doberman. Yeah. He's just running around everywhere. Yeah. 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 <sighs> um, speaking of croissant, drink for any food or drink that really makes you want to go back to Paris. Oh, sure. There, there's a lot, a good, a lot oh, of French bread in this film. Yeah. Lots of croissants. Lots of yeah. steaming pastries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It looks, yeah. Ooh la la. Very good. Drink for classic movie references. Another obvious oh, yeah. one, but they're all over this film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, drink for a pre- Parisian landmark. Drink for yeah. I, I didn't really spot as many because uh, I guess most of the film is inside the train station, which is itself a landmark. Yeah. But obviously, you <clears throat> have you knowing Paris better than I do. You yeah. There's Notre Dame. There's the Eiffel Tower. There's the Champs Elysees. There's oh, uh, fair enough. A few yeah. in there. Cool. All, all the classics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Drink every time Emily Mortimer says "Good morning." Because I feel like that's ninety <laughs> percent of her dialogue in this film. It's just her going like "Good morning, Good morning." Yeah, because she doesn't really do anything. No, she's no, a very she minor character. But like, yeah. yeah, drink for a dog. Drink for dog scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, it is a very yeah. There's three dog characters in this film. There's mm-hmm. Francis Delator has her little dog that really hates Richard Griffith, and mm-hmm. because they've they've also got this little flirtation going on, and every time he goes over to try and kiss her or anything, the dog just like <laughs> just yeah. hates her, hates him, and so his his solution is to get his own dog and like pair them up. Yeah, and then also there's the big Doberman that chases all the kids. So mm-hmm. yeah, very good. Uh, drink for tears. Tears. Yeah, as in Crying. waterworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ace of Butterfield can really turn on those waterworks. <laughs> Although, actually, I think all the men in the, and boys in this film cry at some point because yeah. um, definitely Ben Kingsley bursts into tears at least once. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of crying in this. Yeah, that's no, very true. Um, last one I've got here. Drink whenever somebody goes up or down a story. Oh, yes. Like, like up or down stairs or up a slide or at one, at one point, Sash Brown Cone just climbs like some some 
poles that are just sticking out of the wall. Did you did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he just just, just suddenly starts climbing the wall out of nowhere because I guess his legs don't work so well. Sure, yeah. And yeah, he's going down fireman's poles. Asa Butterfield has a little flume at one point. <laughs> he does. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. They're really getting their cardio in in this film. Yeah. So yeah. anytime somebody goes up or down. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the worst drinking game ever, but now you've explained it, it makes more sense. Yeah. Drinking yeah. until someone goes up or down. Yeah. Cool. Um, my last one, and this will definitely get you pretty hammered, drink for the word notebook. Oh, right. Every time yeah. someone mentions the notebook, just take a drink. Yeah. I want my notebook. You can't have your notebook. It's my notebook. Who gave you the notebook? <laughs> Whose notebook is it? Why does the notebook mean so much to you? Yeah. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Give me back my notebook. Very nice. Okay. Well, listeners, if, you, if you've been enjoying this episode and you think you've enjoyed it so much that you want to say a big thank you to me and john mm-hmm. you can go to patreon.com slash beyond the box set where you can subscribe to our bonus show for as much or as little as you think we're worth mm-hmm. if you do you get the bonus show which uh, we review recent releases yeah uh-huh. we've recently watched suicide squad mm-hmm. also an old recently black widow just uh, lot, all, all the hits all lot, the hits lot, yeah. lot going on recently yeah also, if you become a Patreon, you get a 30-second advert slot here on the main show where you can talk about whatever you want, your own business, your own podcast, whatever you feel like. Mm-hmm. And also, about once a month, we do a Patreon episode where a Patreon gets to choose the film that we we pitch sequels to and you can come and guest if you want to as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so all that is available at patreon.com slash set. Indeed. Let's see, Alex. Uh, what do you think of Jaws, which is at 97% Rotten Tomatoes? I find it to be anti-shark propaganda. What do you feel about the Entourage movie, which is at a meager 33%? I think they finally got Hollywood right. How about It Follows, 97%. Worse than your parents giving you the sex is evil talk. How do you feel about Juno, which is at 94%? That would be a movie that celebrates a teenage homewrecker. Uh, how about Bewitch at 25%? Best television adaptation ever put to film. How do you feel about American Hustle at a towering 93%? Overwrought awards bait. Righteous Kill, 19%. The movie that Michael Mann wishes he had made when he created Heat. Sounds about right. I'm Julio. I'm Alex, and we are the Contrarians. As you can tell, our thing is that we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Regardless of what we really feel. Find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. Facebook, Twitter, we're everywhere. So, sequels then. Yep. Do you want to go first? I can go first, sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my sequel is called Hugo's Marvelous Movie Studio. Right. Felt like a nice name. Yeah. And very rolled down. It is, yeah. It is set in the not too distant future. For what so from the present day. Okay. So, so like so in so the like... year in like twenty years' time or something. Or ten years, twenty years time. Like twenty twenty thirty, twenty forty. Oh right. So so like a hundred years after the original. Oh yes, this is this is very much like the future. Yeah. Right. This okay. isn't so much a sequel with the same characters as kind of a retelling of the original from a different perspective. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a retelling if this film was set in the year like twenty forty or twenty thirty. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's going to concern a boy named Hugo mm. who lives on his own in a giant establishment. But rather than in a Parisian train station, he actually lives inside Marvel Studios. Right. I'm yeah. guessing Marvel Studios has like a big theme parky kind of part, right? That people can visit and wander around. Uh, I... Well, in 2030, they do. Sure. Yeah. It's like Disneyland, yeah. but for Marvel. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm. Surely there's got to be a, a Marvel area in Disneyland. Maybe something like there that. There must yeah. be. It could be that too. It could be that too. Because Disney have had Marvel for ages. True. That could also work. It could just be Disneyland. It's just got to be somewhere like very focused on Marvel and Disney stuff. And also 
very full of like, you know, the public. Yeah. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. So rather than living inside a a clock, because that's quite old school, mm-hmm. he lives inside the head of a giant Iron Man statue. Just thinking Iron Man's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. He, keep, he keeps it clean and makes sure that it's all, all, the, all the body parts are moving mm-hmm. as they should and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's his life. He's also an orphan. Yeah. He did have a father who was a CGI expert okay. at the Marvel Studios who died in mysterious circumstances. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I don't really know. I couldn't think of a funny way for him to die. It's not a very high impact job. But I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if died in a fire. Computer virus. Com- he caught a computer yeah. virus, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's an orphan. His dad is dead. Yeah. Okay. But his dad, before he died, who his dad was very into like films and they, they worked together on restoring films and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, and his father left him a mysterious ancient rectangular device that they were trying to figure out how to use together. It was a VCR. Let me finish my story. Oh, sorry. God, jumping ahead. <laughs> Spoiler alert, mister. <laughs> and, although, I mean, it's a bit of a giveaway. So I'm thinking in this future, yeah. All non-franchise movies have been wiped out. Okay. The only movies that exist are now franchise or like in in, this, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Wars or like... Okay. There's no such thing as a standalone movie. There's no such thing as an independent movie. What about a new franchise? No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no creativity in this. It's just right. recycle the same old thing. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in fact, so much... It's been so dominated by the franchises that... All the non-franchise movies, all the classic movies of the past like 50, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, whatever, have all been wiped out. Wow. How, nobody... how, how's Netflix doing? Or is it just Netflix? Disney? Well, nobody was watching them, so Netflix just dropped them. Oh, crap. Yeah. So, so what is it? Just Disney Plus now? It's just all franchises all the time and oh, TV spin-offs no. of franchises and adverts of franchises. Yeah. And, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. There was no money and nobody cared. Nobody even cared enough to protect the files as technology evolved. <laughs> and so all of the, the classic cinema of the past century even... Mm has just now vanished. It's been wiped out. It's been wiped from the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. No, not even any data for it. Wow. Nobody cares. Anyway, so, th- so that's Hugo's backstory. He's got this mysterious rectangular thing and he's got his notebook and he's always every day trying to fiddle with it and tweak it mm-hmm. and try to find out how to make it work again, mm-hmm. thinking maybe it'll have some message from his dad. One day he has a run-in with a grouchy old man who runs the Groot and Baby Yoda merchandise stand. <laughs> just all Groot's and Baby Yoda's and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. This old man catches him trying to use his free Wi-Fi, and as a punishment, <laughs> he confiscates his tablet. Okay, you can see how I'm bringing this very much up to date with my modern 21st century references. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's, uh, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, he begs for his tablet back, but the old man keeps it and says he's going to take it home and wipe it. Oh no! Yes, uh, but this 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 tablet's got all of his you know notes on how to get the mysterious rectangular device working. So mm-hmm. he's obviously de- Hugo is devastated. Mm-hmm follows him home and uh, doesn't manage to get it back because the old man slams his door in his face, you mm-hmm. know, just like before. But much like the original, he does meet up with the old man's granddaughter or goddaughter, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. a young girl around his age who agrees to help him out. And yeah, you know, long story short, you know, same as the original, you know, or the, the, mm-hmm. they try and get the tablet back, doesn't work. Maybe the old man gives him like a blank one instead and try and freak him out, but it turns out he has protected the original. Somehow. Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. matter. Long story short, we get to the sequence where in the original we find out that Chloe Grace Moretz has the heart-shaped key. Yeah. And in this version, I think what happens is that she has a mysterious silver disc that she uses <laughs> as like a, a giant hoop earring or something. <laughs> <laughs> something. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's like lining her lunchbox. Yeah. Some, something. That yeah. Not, not for its proper use. Anyway, 
Uh, and this mysterious silver disc, it just happens to be a perfect fit. She wears it as a brooch. She wears it as a brooch. Because it's still like, jewellery, like, you know, like the, the heart trade. I mean, she's got very skinny, uh, skinny, uh, what's this part of body called? Wrist. Wrist. Sorry, I don't know what happened with uh, my brain. <laughs> also, you're thinking bracelet. No, brooch is uh, it's like, like a badge. Oh, a brooch. She, yeah, that, okay, yeah, I did think bracelet. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, she's wearing it as a brooch. <laughs> that works perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> and they realize, oh, hey, your brooch actually fits perfectly in my rectangular device. Hover, hover. Hover, hover. I realize how sexual this element of the film was. But um, yeah, so they, 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 they stick it in. <laughs> <laughs> In a very innocent and childlike way, Harry. This is in the original film. They, they stick it in and they turn it on. And uh, God. And they're confused when they're greeted by a bizarre message. Yep. Sounds like my first time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what you heard, but this message, the message they get on, on their rectangular device is, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a handbag. You wouldn't steal a television. Uh-huh. You wouldn't steal a movie piracy it's a crime <laughs> and so hugo immediately bursts into tears <laughs> he's like this is just gibberish it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. and isabel chloe grace moretz's character gives him a hug and like no wait 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 wait. it's not finished yet mm-hmm. and then the screen goes black they've attached the, the dvd player which is what it was yeah, yeah. To, a, to a tv screen whatever let's just say that they figured that out much yeah. like the piece of paper they just mm-hmm. as luck would have it mm-hmm. so then it go, the screen goes dark and then it flashes up again, this time with grainy footage of an unkempt young man in old-fashioned clothes walking the streets of New York. Okay. And a title screen flashes up, Taxi Driver. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids are compelled but confused. Where are all the superheroes? Where's the product placement? And what's with this grainy-ass filter? So like <laughs> they don't know what they're watching. However, as they watch the entire gritty, hyper-violent spectacle, mm-hmm. their tiny minds are blown. <laughs> and these are like 10-year-old kids. That's what I mean, because like, in the original, they're watching this quite charming, you know, yeah. fantastical stuff. I love in this, they're watching like a notoriously depressing, disturbing, psychological thriller. Kind Very of violent. And they're just like, this is amazing. It's yeah. like nothing we've ever seen. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of mm-hmm. the comedy a little bit. So they watch to the end and then a credit appears, directed by Martin Scorsese. Ah... And then Chloe Grace Moretz, the, his character, is like, that's my, that's my grandpa's real name. That, that's Grandpa Marty's real name. So you see what I've done here. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. I, I see what you've done. It's, uh, okay. it's the same film, isn't it? It's the same, fi- it's the same film, yeah. But yeah. it's, well, you know, because you, you know how Martin Scorsese was in the press about around Oscar season this year when he was mm. complaining about all Marvel films. Oh, yeah. He, he was saying like, oh, they're destroying all the rest of cinema. So I thought like that could like, mm. if it's, so that's greatest, this. Yeah, his greatest fears have come true. And all right, okay, it's, it, it's Martin Scorsese's darkest timeline. Yes, basically that's what I've come up with Got here. Yeah, okay. So yeah, they rush home to show Grandpa Marty the footage, but his wife intercepts and warns them not to dig up the past because it's too painful for him. Mm-hmm. But while they're locked away, they find a hidden. While they're hiding from him, they find a chest filled with other old DVDs. Mm-hmm. But he catches them, and in a tearful rage, he starts smashing them up, and he calls them cruel. And again, mm-hmm. it's just like the original. So. They're a, bit, they're a bit dejected, but they're not deterred yet. So they actually, they visit the Marvel Museum of Movie History, sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, and in a musty and unloved corner of the museum, they find an old, find a tablet with an old webinar downloaded onto it. A webinar? A webinar. Oh, I don't know. Something like, like that. You are not present, are you? I'm trying my best here. Some, <laughs> something like that. Or just like a, yeah, a, a, like a, a holographic documentary thing. I don't know, something. Okay. It's a, something that's not a book. 
Okay. Well, basically, the idea is that it's an I'm early. Really, I'm really enjoying this. It's an early history of film. That's the thing. It's a, it's yeah. like the early history of film, like in the original when they find the book uh-huh. yeah. by Michael Stolbach's character, and the the narrator of this webinar or documentary, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. is talking about like the long time ago when films were very, very unsophisticated and you know hadn't advanced very much mm-hmm. uh, back then. You could fund a whole movie for as little as 150 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Crazy tiny. Peanuts, peanuts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'd have to use real locations because they couldn't afford the CGI. <laughs> and no, and if a character died, sometimes they'd stay dead, no matter how popular they were with the fan base. Like, just <laughs> craziness, mind-blowing stuff. Uh-huh. And it mentions that how one of the most popular directors of this this before time was a Mr. Martin Scorsese, who is presumed to have died many years ago. Mm-hmm. And then just like the original, it turns out the narrator is standing behind them just conveniently. Mm-hmm. He just hangs around this place. Who is it? Well, it doesn't matter. It's Michael Stolberg again, for sure. Okay. I was just thinking he's gonna he, but he's gonna introduce himself and explain that he used to be a very prolific podcaster, a movie right. podcaster, okay. who was dedicated. His podcast was dedicated to the classic cinema of Martin Scorsese, right? Okay. And he spent his life trying to restore all of his old films that got wiped out of existence. Is he going to talk about that brief stint where he was in Doctor Strange? Could do, sure. Okay. Is Michael Stolberg in Doctor Strange? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every, everyone's in a Marvel movie at some point. That's the well, yeah, exactly. And, 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 no and if they're not, they're in a Harry Potter movie. Exactly. And, 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 in, this, of, and yeah. in this film, there's a lot. Or of they're in a DCU film or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so he's dedicated his life to studying Martin Scorsese's old films, and he's even managed to restore a few of them, mm-hmm. a few of his lost works, his lost classics. Mm. So they bring him back home to meet Grandpa Marty, who is overcome with emotion when he realizes, just like in the original, that his work has not been as, as entirely forgotten as he so feared. Mm-hmm. And the family all settle down for a nice heartwarming marathon of Raging Bull, Casino and the Irishman. You don't finish any marathon with the Irishman. Yeah. And then oh, it just so long. Well, then I can think like over the end credits, it's just like a bunch of skeletons, just like musty <laughs> skeletons. Just like... <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. Although actually the, the proper end could be that, yeah, great. So that they, maybe Martin Scorsese gets his work, gets reappraised mm. and maybe he works with Hugo to open a new film studio to make some non, to bring non-franchise movies back. Mm-hmm. And that becomes Hugo's marvelous movie studio. All right. The title didn't really tie in with the story there. It just nah, sounded yeah. good in my head, but yeah. yeah. Sometimes it works. Yeah. Well, that that was it. It. Yeah. That was really good. Thank you. Yeah. Way better than what the idea that I've got. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Once I got, once I remembered, I did struggle, but then when I remembered Martin Scorsese being a bit of a dick about uh, franchise movies, I was like, ah, that's what I can do. And then it all kind of fell into place. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that works well. Mm-hmm. Good, thank you. Mm. Uh, well, I've struggled with a bit of writer's block this uh, <clears throat> this week. Sure. I've written, a, I've written an intro to an idea, mm-hmm. which I'm really happy with. Sure. And I like the idea as well, but I just can't write it. Okay. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, We'll see, see if we, we can pull something together, yeah. But either way, here's the intro. Okay. So I think that we can all agree that, you know, that fire that killed Jude Law. Sure. Um, it was actually some sort of an explosion and definitely wasn't an accident. Oh, he think, was murdered. Yeah. He's been a murder. Yeah. I think we can pretty much all agree on that. Yeah. So this film, this film picks up exactly as Jude Law slams the door shut. He lives. Just in time. And he turns around to show, show us his singed eyebrows and sooty mm. face. Nice. And we see from the outside of the building, the windows blowing out, confirming that it was, in fact, an explosion and not like, you know, a dragon or just a sure. regular fire or whatever. Sure. It's an explosion on the ground floor. And so the building starts to crack and Jude Law, being the smart man that he is, he takes a deep breath and he jumps and rolls into a small understairs cupboard with thick brick walls. Oh, wow. Thinking like, okay. It's like action movie star Jude Law. Yeah. Back yeah. Again. yeah, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, like the building's about to fall down. He's like, okay, you need to go to like an enclosed space that's like in the wall. Like this is this is it. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. He waits there as the floor outside begins to crumble into the fire below. A few more seconds, not in a cupboard, and he would currently be burning alive. Oh gosh. The cupboard has a small window to the outside. Okay. That doesn't open, so it's just closed glass. He looks around for something to smash it so he doesn't break his fist, but there's actually nothing in this cupboard for whatever reason, for plot reasons. Sure. Um, the cupboard is empty. He tries to see if he can open can open the door and grab a rock or something, but when he does, the smoke and the flames are just way too intense. Mm-hmm. He just can't open that door at all. And also, the fire is probably going to break through that very quickly. Mm-hmm. He uh, frisks his pockets a little bit, and all he has is a pocket watch mm-hmm. um, with the name Francesca Cabrera. Presumably okay. his wife. Oh, okay. Um, engraved in it, and a picture of Jude Law and Hugo in the lid. So it's his wife's pocket watch. Oh, nice. Okay. His, his, his late wife's pocket watch. Like, let's assume that it's all he's got left of her. Sure. And with a large sigh and saying, forgive me, love, he uses the pocket watch to smash through the window and climb down unseen. Okay. You know, it's just, it's a solid thing, isn't it? It's a solid mm-hmm. piece of metal. You use it to smash the glass and get out. Right. He gets to the bottom and checks the watch. The face is smashed and it stopped ticking. Oh, no. But he's alive. Mm-hmm. He lets out a solitary tear, and with a flourish of his cape, he runs away into the night. <laughs> I like it. Um, so that's that. That's okay. The, that's that's the intro. I just wanted Jude Law to survive that, and then maybe this whole mystery of like, who's who's trying to kill Jude Law? Mm. Why? Well, I thought that too because Ray Winston also dies in very mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was like, is there a murderer? Yeah. Yeah. There's something happening. Definitely. No, I like that idea. So yeah, and maybe maybe then Jude Law realizing that someone's trying to kill him mm. decides to fake his own death like, mm-hmm. that's why he stays away yeah and he's like maybe watching hugo from afar but protecting him without him knowing yeah i was thinking all that sort of thing yeah 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 um, that could be good yeah i'd like, like, like to do that somehow i was trying to work out any kind of motivation that anybody would have or anything like that and in lieu of uh creating a new character i was thinking ray winston mm-hmm. so he can be the villain of this well he also dies does he though okay or maybe he does, but how does he die? Like there's, you know, there's so many different options here. So I was thinking that it's something where Ray Winston just wanted Hugo mm-hmm. and he, he, he needed, Hugo he wanted to, an apprentice. He, yeah. yeah. He needed an apprentice and he needed the best apprentice. Yeah. Maybe he was really jealous. Maybe he was super jealous of his brother. Mm-hmm. They had like this rivalry because his brother was like the greatest clockmaker. Yeah. In the world or in France, in Paris, whatever. Mm. And Ray Winston was just a drunken burnout who was just doing like menial work in a mm. train station yeah uh, yeah and like he wanted and, and you know may, maybe he wants to get the greatest clockmaker, mm. or you know if he can't get jude law because you know he can't just enslave his brother yeah he can take jude law's son yeah killing jude law and then you know mm. hugo goes to goes to ray winston yeah so now he has hugo the greatest clockmaker, but Maybe he needs him to become the greatest clockmaker or whatever by like fixing up that machine. Yeah, maybe he enslaved him and or, or manipulated him into trying to fix the automaton because he thinks he can profit from it. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I was, well, I would I would love to have a bit more story here, but I, I was hoping that it was all going to kind of come together in Jude Law and Ray Winston having a fight. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why Ray Winston randomly goes missing because Jude Law's yeah. like watching from afar to try and protect his son. Maybe Ray Winston was like up to some shady shit, and Hugo yeah. was about to get into some serious danger. Yeah, and Jude Law saved him, mm-hmm. um, potentially by you know getting into a fight with Ray Winston and presumably winning, and Ray Winston's body showing up 
um, in the river. Yes. No, I think that's, that's, I think that works. Yeah. It all ties together. I, I'm sorry. I wish I had more story. No, that, I I just, there's, there's some bits that would need fleshing out, but I think that there's, the basic idea is really good. Mm. I like the idea of, yeah, of Jude, Jude Law's character just still being in the shadows somewhere. I think, yeah, what we would need to do, I don't know if we can do this right now, but, but, but if, if there was a way to tie that in with everything else that's going on, mm. like with, with, you know, Ben Kingsley's character and Christopher Lee, maybe, you know, yeah, you're gonna bring Christopher Lee in. It's it, it, I was, no. Maybe Chris. Maybe the, Jude Law is hiding out in the library with Christopher Lee, or maybe Christopher Lee's like his oldest friend or something. And so he. Well, did you notice in the film that whenever Hugo introduced himself, he said, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm Hugo Cabret." Whenever he said a surname, everybody would go. Oh. Everybody would react like that, yeah. and they'd be like, "Oh, a Cabret." Oh, so I'm thinking there's something up with Jude Law. Yeah. Okay. I've had, I've thought of it. Jude Law does survive the attempted death by fire explosion, whatever. Yes. But he's horribly burned. Oh, okay. Beyond recognition. His face is burnt beyond recognition. Right. So he's actually, he disappears not just to go into hiding, but also to recover. Because that's why he's assume, assumed dead. Mm. He's taken in by a kindly stranger, played by Christopher Lee. Nice. Who is a librarian, but also in a former career, was France's foremost plastic surgeon. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So he, for months and months and months, while poor Hugo has been enslaved by evil uncle, uncle Ray Winston, mm-hmm. Jude Law is recuperating with Christopher Lee, mm. having his face rebuilt right. <laughs> from the fire. Okay. When it's finally, this could also be a cheap way to not actually get Jude Law in the film for very little long. bit. Yeah. <laughs> but when he finally is looking human again, mm. he has, he has a face again, but it's it, 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 the only thing that can happen is is he still Jude Law? Is he no, this is the thing. He's had so much surgery, he now looks like Michael Stuhlbarg. Nice. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, that's that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then... <laughs> <laughs> so then as Michael Stuhlbarg, he bumps off, he, he challenges Ray Winston and kills him, throws him in the sink, gets yeah. his revenge. But then he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to upset his son. I like that Christopher Lee is such a good plastic surgeon. He makes Jude Law, who is already very handsome, even more handsome. Into Michael Stuhlbarg, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then, he, but he doesn't want to upset his son by showing him his new face, you know. So instead, he just poses as a kindly stranger and like puts the plot into motion to guide it so, so that Hugo gets adopted. Will be adopted a by a, into a new family. Yeah. Oh, that's good. There we go. We yeah. tied it together. We pulled yeah. it back. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah, I think that one's very, very worked out pretty well. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I, I've not got a title for that. Either. Fair enough. Um, nice. Hugo two changing faces. Sure. Yes. Because a clock changes faces. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Nice. Oh, mm-hmm. good one. You really. I'm on fire tonight. You really saved that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the original idea was good. I just helped you pull it together. Yeah. Yeah. Thank cool. you. Um, okay. Right. Got any listener submissions? We do. Let me run through them. Only a few this week. Starts with an obvious one. Todd Berman said to go. Cool. Sure. Yeah. Every week. Bell Haggett Silverman said Hugh going, and it's part of a trilogy. Hugh go. Hugh going. Hugh gone. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Like it, yeah. Adam Capitano said, huge O. It's even bigger than the last one and longer, presumably. <laughs> it's like four or five hours long. Mike Carey said, you go. Hugo meets the maker of the film of the train arriving at the station. You know that one that was... The oh, film? yes. You know, that everyone thought the train was going to go through, through the, the screen. screen. And hit the, yeah. He meets the old filmmaker who made that film. Presumably right. that was not Papa George. And helps them to rediscover their passion for films and films of vehicles arriving in places. <laughs> So like, he just makes really boring films of like cars pulling into car parks mm. and buses, you know, all that. Yeah. yeah. See, the thing about that film with the train coming towards the screen, 
like from you know my modern perspective, I just can't get my head around why people thought it was going to come and hit them because the camera is clearly on the platform from the side. Like if you've ever stood at a train platform yeah. when a train's pulling in, that's how it looks. It's not like if you're stood on a train track when the train's coming towards you. That's entirely different. That's your 21st century brain thinking, though. Definitely Harry. is. Yes, like, yes. like, like, because I, I know that people reacted like that, but I just, I just feel like they're wrong. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. Simple, simpler uh, times. Mm. So that was that. Connor Crehan said, "I didn't know much about the plot of Hugo before I watched it, so I thought the plot was going to be a magical fantasy direction before the actual reveal of what the movie was about was clear. Mm-hmm. So I say we adapt it from my imagination version instead." things from the movies start coming into the real world. Okay. So I think he thought that just like, it would be a fantasy about things from classic movies, mm. like breaking into the real world. Like, I don't know, name a classic movie. I guess like Disney films, Dumbo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bambi, Snow White, that kind of thing. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. And Brian Markowski, fan one, Brian Markowski said, Hugo a go-go. It's the late 60s <laughs> and Hugo's grandson is in swing is a swinging London youth in the style of Austin Powers mm-hmm. who opens his hip new club The Automated Man. Oh, the yeah. club is a big hit until Hugo himself shows up going through a rather late midlife crisis. <laughs> cool, I like that idea. Yeah. So it's a ro- the, the robot is inspired its very own dance club. Mm-hmm. So thank you everybody for those sequel ideas. We ask for your listener submissions every week a few days before we record by putting posts out on Facebook and Twitter where you can post your ideas. So make sure you like and follow our pages if you don't want to miss out. To listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and many others, in all of which you can also leave us a five-star review if you so wish. It really helps us out. You can also join us on Patreon for as much or as little as you think we're worth to access all the bonus features that we mentioned earlier. All those links are available in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. Mm-hmm. And next week, Harry, we mm-hmm. are bouncing back to me. Okay. And we've been on a, little, a good little run with this uh, classic movie vibe. And I've, mm-hmm. I've decided I'm going to continue it a little bit. Okay. And I'm actually going to do, I've decided I'm going to risk, we'll see how this pans out. It might might pan out, it might not. I'm going to go for a little mini season of my own, like for the next few next few choices that are mine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little, I've got a little idea that we'll see if it works. It might not, I hope it will work. <laughs> anyway, uh, long story short, because uh, yeah, you can space out films that you like, so it's not going to be too much, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to do a film called All About Eve. Okay. Yeah. It's a classic piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. Actually beat Sunset Boulevard to Best Picture that year. So oh, okay. A very strong year. Sure. Uh, so we'll see how you like it. Yeah. So, uh, All About Eve. Join us next week for All About Eve. Yeah, sounds good. Right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Don't you like books?